Uh, today we are continuing through the book of Psalms with Psalm 20. And so if you have your Bible and want to turn there, uh, Psalm 20 is where we are headed today. But first, some background stories. Some background stories. We're actually going to back up all the way to the book of Exodus. You don't have to turn there. Um, but there's some background to this psalm that I think is important to, to sort of pay attention to. You see, the beginning of the book of Exodus, the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt. And they're crying out to God, deliver us, deliver us, Lord. And God hears their cry. And as he begins this project to deliver his people from Egypt, he, he calls Moses. And, you know, Moses has this great encounter with the burning bush. He takes off his sandals and so on. And God tells Moses his plan to deliver the people of Israel. And Moses responds with a number of questions. Uh, but among them was this one. He says, when I approach the Israelites, what do I tell them when they ask who sent me? He says, what is your name? And so God responds. God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you were to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. And so God reveals himself to Moses. Right? He is a God beyond any explanation. Right? I am who I am. And yet, he is a God who is known personally. Right? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This God is, is greater than all things, greater than any God, and yet he has bound himself to humanity. God has committed himself to his people. And so from here, Moses heads to Egypt, and you're, you're probably familiar with the story. It is just an epic showdown, right? You know, if you saw the movie Prince of Egypt, there's a great song that goes along with it. Uh, but, you know, one way of thinking about this next series of events is Moses and Aaron versus the Egyptian officials. But I, I think a more accurate way of understanding this part of the book of Exodus is that it is a showdown between the God who is, I am who I am, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the many gods of Egypt. That's what the real battle is between. That's the real showdown. Many scholars have commented on the fact that what we often refer to as the plagues really were direct confrontations with many of the gods of Egypt. There was a god associated with the Nile, but the Nile was turned to blood. There was a goddess associated with frogs, but those frogs overran the people, right? The sun was considered a god, but darkness 
covered the land for three days. I mean, on and on it goes. These plagues are, are a picture of a divine war between the God who is and the gods who apparently are not. And the Lord is victorious. The Lord is victorious and the people are delivered. Now, fast forward to the end of Moses' life. We, we see in the book of Deuteronomy, it's, it's the series of instructions that Moses gives to the people as they are on the edge about to enter into the promised land. And among the instructions that he gives them are some for a day when the people will have a king. And he says, be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. He also says the king must not acquire a great number of horses for himself. And he goes on to say when he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God. See, over and over again in these instructions, the king of Israel is meant to be defined by his dependence on God. He, he is appointed by God. He is devoted to God as he reads the scriptures, the, the law, and he is reliant on God for victory rather than reliant on many horses, military might. This is the defining aspect of the king of Israel, one who is reliant on God. A couple chapters later, Moses continues to elaborate on this some more. And in Deuteronomy 20, he says, when you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army that's greater than yours, don't be afraid of them. Because the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt will be with you. When you are about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army. He shall say, Hear, Israel, today you are going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted. Do not panic or be terrified by them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to give you victory. See, just as their king is dependent on God, so are their battles dependent on God. And this is demonstrated in this moment by a priest who would come forward to address the king and the army before the battle. See, their battles are not meant to advance their own kingdom by their own power, but rather to advance God's kingdom by faith in him. And so it was this practice of, of Israel for the king to seek God's blessing before going into a battle, to receive a blessing from the priest. Now, some of you may know this story, uh, but, you know, fast forward a bit more in the history of Israel. The very first king of Israel is a guy named Saul. And Saul was rejected by God 
precisely because he failed to do this, because he failed to receive the blessing of the priest before entering into battle. In 1 Samuel 13, Saul is on the brink of battle, and he's waiting for Samuel, the priest, to show up to offer a blessing. But as he's waiting, Saul begins to fear his enemies and is worried that his soldiers are getting impatient and going to just head out. And so Saul decides to take matters into his own hands, and he uh, offers a sacrifice on his own so that they can go ahead and head in to fight. And just as he's finished offering his own sacrifice, Samuel arrives, and he says to him, you have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. You see, Saul trusted in his own ability to offer a sacrifice to win the battle rather than waiting to receive the blessing of God. And that was his downfall. Because it's the Lord who fights and wins battles, not kings. You know, Moses saw God fight and win battles in Egypt, and he instructed future kings to rely on God in the days ahead as the priest would come and offer a blessing before battle. Now, what does all of this have to do with Psalm 20? Well, Psalm 20 is one of these battle blessings. Psalm 20 is a blessing that would have been spoken by a priest over a king before he goes into battle. It's a psalm that, that really recalls this whole history that we've just reflected on from when God delivered the people out of Egypt to when Moses called on the kings to trust in God for victory. So with all of this in mind, let's read Psalm 20. Hear the word of the Lord. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and may all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now this I know. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we 
rise up and stand firm. So Lord, give victory to the king. Answer us when we call. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God who brings victory and fights for your people. God, I pray that as we reflect on the words of this psalm today, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I just want to spend the rest of our time together reflecting a bit more on this psalm in particular, right? It was this originally this battle blessing for the king as he headed off. What does this psalm mean for us? What does it mean to, to receive the words of this psalm? What does it mean to pray the words of this psalm? Well, the first thing I want to say is, is simply this. We, too, are in a battle. We, too, are engaged in a battle. And just like ancient Israel, it is not fought with our power and our resources, but rather it is fought by trusting in God. It's fought by trusting in God. This psalm was a blessing meant to reorient the heart of the king before he headed in to battle. And I think it is meant to reorient our hearts as well as we face our own battles and challenges. You see, the question at the heart of this psalm is where do you turn in the day of distress? Where do you turn when you are in distress? You know, for the ancient kings, that was the thick of battle. But where do we look in the midst of distress? Where do we turn? The, the, the reorienting answer in the psalm is, is in the first verse. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the Lord answer you. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. Now, this phrase, the name of the God of Jacob, reaches back to that story in Exodus. Right? Remember how God responded when Moses asked, what is your name? God said, I am who I am, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. This is my name. And so as the king goes into battle, he is to remember that God is the one who fought the battle of Egypt and delivered his people. This is the God who answers you and protects you. And this phrase is used a couple more times throughout the psalm. Verse 5 says, May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. And then again in verse 7, Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Right? This is this recurring refrain throughout the psalm. Now, this phrase, the name of God, is not some kind of magical incantation 
that makes whatever we want to happen, right? There were ancient religions that believed that if you could figure out the name of a god, then saying it would give you power over that god, access to that god's power. Sort of like getting hold of a genie's lamp, right? All right, now I get my wishes. You have to do what I say because I figured out your name. This is not the kind of God that the Lord is. The Lord willingly reveals his name. I am who I am. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he willingly reveals his name. And when we pray in his name, we're not exercising power over him, but rather acknowledging his power over us. That's what it means to trust in the name of the Lord. And that's what it means when we pray in Jesus' name. It's a way of acknowledging that he has all power. Jesus has all authority. Prayer is not an attempt to bend God's will toward ours, but rather a practice of submitting our will to him. This is why Jesus teaches us to pray, your will be done, just as we've already prayed together this morning. This is what it means to trust and pray in the name of God. But there's still this question, where do we turn in the day of distress? Where do we turn when we're in the midst of distress? Well, some trust in chariots, and some in horses, right? Now, that may literally be true today for anyone who competed in some of the equestrian uh, events of the Olympics earlier this month, but for most of us, we're going to need to translate that into a different context, right? We're not trusting in chariots and horses, although we may very well be trusting in the military or the government uh, to put things a certain way, you know, as we sort of root for our own preferred politicians. Others may put trust in their insurance plans or the amount of money in your bank account or your retirement fund. Still others may trust in their own reputation, always managing what other people think of you. Or trusting in, in our own knowledge, our own wit. Some trust in chariots and others in horses. What are your chariots and horses? You see, whatever they are, this psalm reorients us, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We trust in him. We turn to him in the day of distress. Where do you turn? Do you trust the name of the Lord? You see, trusting in the name of the Lord means that we put our, ourselves in him. We, we put our faith in him. But it actually means more than just how we pray. It also affects how we live. To trust in the name of the Lord is to bear his name in all that we do. That's what it means to be called Christians. 
It's to bear the name of Christ in everything that we do. To live like him. To be his hands and his feet. And, and remember, this psalm is a blessing that was spoken by a priest. This whole psalm is, is a blessing spoken by a priest. But in Christ, 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. A holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You see, in Christ, we have been made into a priesthood. And we as priests are called to bless. We're called to bless those around us. This stretches all the way back again to the early history of Israel once more. Back in Genesis 12, God calls Abraham and he speaks these words to him. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You see, God blessed Abraham and the nation of Israel so that they could be a blessing to everyone that they come into contact with. This was God's original intent for his people. And it's God's intention for us now as well. As a royal priesthood, we are called to bless those around us, just as the priest did in this psalm to be people who bear God's name and bring God's blessing where we go. And this is actually how we fight the battle that we're engaged in. This is the means by which we face our enemies. Think of what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your enemies and bless those who persecute you. See, this is how we engage in spiritual battle. By blessing and praying for those who persecute us. Those who cause us distress. And that may be actual people, but it may also be the circumstances and situations in which we find ourselves. Whatever arises in our life, we are called to be a priestly people who bless, who bear God's name wherever we go, who bring blessing to whatever people and places that we encounter. And you know, I, I was listening to an interview earlier this week with someone who was talking about prayer. And something that she said stuck with me. And it's kind of just stuck with me all week long. She said that as we pray, sometimes instead of talking to God about our problems, we may do better to talk to our problems about God. 
Instead of talking to God about our problems, we may do better to talk to our problems about God. And I think this is what it means to bear God's name wherever we go, right? It's like what it says in verse 5, lift up our banners in the name of our God, right? Fly this, this flag of victory in the midst of distress, to look at whatever problems we're facing and say, God reigns. God is in charge here. This is precisely what we see in the very middle of this psalm. This is what the the psalmist does. This is what the blessing speaks and leads to. In verse 6 of the psalm, there is this shift that occurs. Because so far, all the language has been may the Lord answer. May God do this. May this happen. But in verse 6, it shifts and it says, This I know. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. Right? The, The beginning of the psalm is petition. May the Lord answer you. And then down at the end of the psalm, it is once more petition. Answer us when we call. But right here, in the middle of the psalm, it's not petition, but proclamation. Not the hope of victory, but a proclamation of victory. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. We know this. And this anointed one that is spoken of here refers to the king, right? The king who would have been anointed. Uh, We see this happened with Saul at first, and then David is anointed, and on and on it goes. But the word anointed here, some of you may be familiar with this, is the Hebrew word Messiah, which in Greek is the word Christ the anointed one. See, Jesus Christ is the true anointed one. This psalm is a blessing for a king heading into battle, but Jesus is the king who has faced the ultimate battle. And just like a proclamation of victory sits right at the center of this psalm, so also a proclamation of victory sits right at the center of history when Jesus rose from the dead and defeated all his enemies, even death itself. Jesus is the true king of this psalm. And when we pray Psalm 20, we proclaim his victory And we pray for the coming of his kingdom. And so as as we wrap up here, I want to read this psalm one more time. But I want to think of it in this way. You know, this was a blessing for a king as that king was heading into battle. I want you to imagine this psalm, perhaps the blessing of the Holy Spirit spoken to Jesus as he prays to his father in Gethsemane, just before going to face that ultimate battle. Hear these words again. 
May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember your sacrifice. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. Oh, may we shout with joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. But this we know. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. The Lord will give victory to Christ. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. There are some who trust in chariots and some in horses. There are some who trust in, in the power of the military, like the Romans. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Jesus trusted in the name of the Lord his Father as he laid down his life. They will be brought to their knees and fall, and we will rise up and stand firm. Lord, give victory to the King, to Jesus. Answer us when we call. Jesus is the King of this psalm. And truly, we know this. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. Jesus reigns and rules and rose from the dead. And so as we go from here, may we be a people who, in the midst of distress, trust in the name of the Lord. May we be a, a people who carry a priestly blessing wherever we go to bless even our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. And may we be those who, in the middle of history, proclaim the victory of the Lord, that Jesus lives and we will all live with him. May it be so. Amen.